We are up to mitzvah number 128. And again, we are in Leviticus. So a lot of the mitzvahs are going to be dealing with things that are not really relevant to our lives today, absent a temple. Lots of different laws about sacrifices and the like. Mitzvah number 128 is a sacrifice. It's called an uncertain guilt offering. Of course, when someone does a sin, depending on the type of sin, they have to bring a sin sacrifice. If someone is uncertain if they did a sin, and we'll see how that can be in a bit, if they're not sure if they committed a sin, that if they know for sure that they did commit it, if they did it on purpose, willfully, it would carry the penalty of kares. If they did it accidentally, it would carry the penalty of an ordinary, standard sin sacrifice. That's if for sure they did it. What if they're not sure if they did it? They're uncertain if they did it. So we would say, well, innocent until proven guilty. That's what we would say. If you don't know if you violated a certain mitzvah, well, innocent until proven guilty. That is not true in the laws of the Torah. There is a sacrifice for a situation where a person is uncertain if they, in fact, committed a sin. So, of course, you commit a sin, you bring a sacrifice. If you're not sure, you may have, maybe yes, maybe no, we don't know. Well, then there is another sacrifice of an uncertain case, the uncertain guilt offering, mitzvah number 128. Now, what's an example of this? How can there be a situation where a person is not sure if they, in fact, violated a given mitzvah? So the Sefer Chinuch, which is the book that we are using to navigate the 613 mitzvahs, he gives a very iconic example. Suppose someone has two pieces of meat. One of them is standard kosher meat. One of them is a prohibited fat called chelev. There are certain parts of the animal, even a kosher animal, that are forbidden to consume. It's called chelev. It's a type of fat. comes from the back part of the animal. It's forbidden to consume. Now, it may look like meat. You can't necessarily tell the difference. You have a fatty piece of meat, and you have some fatty part of the animal. It looks indistinguishable. One of them is perfectly kosher. It's what's for dinner. And the other one, is a violation of a Torah law. A violation that carries with it the penalty of kares when done on purpose and a sin sacrifice when done accidentally. The person wolfs down one of the two pieces of meat. The other one is lost. The dog comes, snatches it, and eats it. It's gone. And we don't know which one he ate. Did he eat the permitted meat or did he eat the forbidden meat? If he ate the permitted meat, well, he's free and clear. If he ate the forbidden meat, then he has violated, accidentally, he has violated a sin that carries with it the weight of kares when done on purpose and a sin sacrifice when done accidentally. And now he doesn't know what happened. In this situation, Mitzvah number 128 applies, he must bring a carbon asham tolui, a sacrifice of an uncertain guilt offering that is this mitzvah.
Now, the Sefer Chinuch focuses on an interesting point. We don't know what happened. Currently, we don't know what happened. But what happens in the future if we discover, after the fact, what happened? So, suppose we have this case of the two pieces of meat, and we don't know which one he ate, and he brings the guilt or the uncertain guilt offering. But then subsequently, we discover that it was actually forbidden. He actually ate, he chose wrong, and he ate the forbidden fats piece of meat, not the permitted kosher piece of meat. Well, okay, how does he proceed now? Now we know for sure that he violated a sin. Yes, it was done accidentally, but you have to bring a sin sacrifice in that case. So perhaps you may say, well, I already brought a sacrifice for this situation. I brought the uncertain guilt offering. So maybe you wouldn't need to bring another sacrifice now that you discover that you, in fact, violated this mitzvah. And the answer is that even though you had already brought an uncertain guilt offering before you knew what had happened, that is insufficient now that we have discovered that you, in fact, did eat the forbidden fat and you must bring a new sacrifice. Now, conversely, suppose he discovers that, uh, well, as luck would have it, he ate the permitted meat. It was completely kosher. So we may think, oh no, you brought a sacrifice, but you did nothing wrong. Because after all, it was discovered that you ate the kosher meat. That is also not true. The sacrifice is brought because of the situation that you were, that you arrived at where you are not sure if you violated the Torah law. It's obligatory for someone who potentially may have violated a Torah law to bring a sacrifice. And the way it's described is the original sacrifice that you brought when you were uncertain, that is sufficient. That's enough. So effectively what this means is that our subject, it doesn't deal with someone violating a sin per se. It deals with someone putting themselves in a situation where they may have violated a sin. This is the sin of carelessness. When someone does not have sufficient vigilance and someone puts themselves in a situation where they may in fact be doing something wrong, that in itself, even if they don't do something wrong, that in itself, the fact that they put themselves in a position where they may have done something wrong, that is this subject and that is this sacrifice. And therefore, if you discover subsequently that you actually ate kosher, that sacrifice that you brought at the time was still needed because that sacrifice is not dealing with the violation of the forbidden meat, but the violation of the carelessness that led to the potential that you may have eaten the forbidden meat. The Sefer Chinuch, as he always does, he gives us a reason behind every mitzvah, something that is understandable to us. Of course, the actual reason is because the Almighty told us that's the real reason for all the mitzvahs. But still, there's an idea of bringing an idea, a law, bringing it closer to us so we understand it more. And he explains that the focus of this mitzvah 
is that we should have extra care and vigilance to avoid even the possibility of violating the will of God. We think of mitzvot as nice spiritual addenda to a life. Hey, we have a soul. And yes, God exists. And yes, he gives us the Torah. And therefore, it's important for us to have that part of our lives as well. The Torah is trying to reorient us. It's trying to change our perspective, to recalibrate us. It's not that we have a soul. Like as if the soul's incidental to the body. We think, okay, well, who I am, I'm me. And I happen to have a soul. It's the opposite. You are the soul. You happen to have a body. Your spiritual existence is more real, is more tangible, is more enduring than your physical existence. And that's a big shift that the Torah is trying to get us to make. We all wear seatbelts. And we all try to take steps to make sure that our body is healthy. And none of us would do things that are potentially dangerous. We won't blindfold ourselves and walk into a highway. We won't eat things. We won't engage in certain practices. A lot of us are scared to do things, even though they may be thrilling. We don't do bungee jumping. We don't do paragliding. We're scared of dying. And we can be obsessive about our health. And that's all good. But what about that for our spiritual lives? If someone is careless about their spiritual lives, that means that they don't value their spiritual lives in the same way that they value their physical lives. And your physical life, well, that is transient. That's here for just a couple of years. Is it 50? Is it 100? We don't know. But that is not permanent. You know what is permanent? Your soul. And therefore, the Torah is trying to encourage us, to coach us, to urge us, to exhort us, to realize this point. And that is that our spiritual existence and vitality and health matters just as much and even more than our physical vitality and health. And when we don't get that, we put ourselves in, put ourselves into situations, well, does that, does it really matter if it was this kind of meat or that kind of meat? If we were talking about poison, versus non-poison, we would all take that very seriously. From the Torah's perspective, and in reality, the non-kosher meat is spiritual poison. And to try to make us realize that, even if someone did nothing wrong, it could have been poison, and that's enough to incur this sacrifice. When someone has insufficient care, insufficient vigilance in spiritual matters, that in itself is a violation of the Torah's laws that requires the requisite, the sufficient vigilance, and you have to bring a sacrifice. And therefore, if the person discovers subsequently that he did in fact violate the mitzvah, the meat was forbidden fats, he must bring a second sacrifice because the first sacrifice was not for the sin, but for the lack of vigilance. The lack of vigilance to put yourself in a situation that potentially may lead to sin, that in itself is the violation. If you discover subsequently that you did in fact eat the forbidden meat, well then, you must bring a separate second sacrifice for that violation. 
As he always does, Sefer HaChinuch offers a sampling of some of the laws of this mitzvah. The one that he begins with is a very subtle one. This is something you may spend a lot of time in yeshiva studying. There are two types of doubt. You have someone who eats a piece of meat. It could be this one. It could be that one. We don't know. So there's a doubt here. There are two pieces of meat. And you chose one. And we don't know which one you chose. That's one type of doubt. Suppose there was a second type of doubt. There aren't two pieces of meat in front of you. There's only one. But it came from one of two shops. There there are two shops. One of them sells only kosher meat. One of them sells the non-kosher meat, the forbidden fats. And this meat originated in one of those two shops. You just don't know which one it originated in. It's also a doubt, right? But there is an abstract theoretical difference between these two types of doubt. If there are two pieces in front of me, the choke point where the doubt lies is right in front of me. And the decision that I make is a decision involving one of these two options. That is known philosophically as a fixed doubt. The doubt is right here in front of me. Whereas when there's only one piece of meat in front of me, and the choke point, the, the, the point where the separation happened is elsewhere, that's a different type of doubt. And even though statistically they may be the same, because after all, maybe the same probabilities, you know, it's 50% either way. Halakhically, there is a difference between a situation in which the prohibited is in front of you versus a situation where the prohibited meat may never have been in front of you at all. Only when the forbidden, the prohibited meat was there, you had two pieces of meat and you made a choice, only then is there an uncertain guilt offering. But if you have only one piece of meat and you just don't know where it came from, in that case, there's nothing that's prohibited that's necessarily in front of you and there would be no incurring of this mitzvah, mitzvah number 128. Now, I think this idea, the, the broad idea of this mitzvah is found elsewhere, of course, in our philosophy, in our system of laws. And that is the, the, the care, the importance of ensuring that not only you don't sin, but you don't even put yourself in a potential situation. You don't position yourself to maybe, in fact, blunder. So one of the classic examples, the Talmud talks about if a person has two paths, you have to go to a given destination, you have to choose which path to take. And one of them passes by a house of idolatry. One of them passes by a brothel, not not, not a, a seedy place, a place where sins may happen. It is a mitzvah to choose the path that doesn't have any problems along the way. And if a person chooses the other path, 
and they closed their eyes and they plug up their ears and they made sure that they don't do anything wrong, anything untoward along the path. Nevertheless, the Talmud tells us they have violated a prohibition. If there was another way to go, a way that avoided all this potential temptation, a way that avoided the potential for blundering, then the choice that you made to choose the more problematic path, even though nothing actually happened, but that decision where you put yourself in a position where maybe something could happen, that in itself is a problem and a violation. And I think the larger idea is that we laud the idea of fear of God and fear of sin. If you take this thing seriously, if you take your spiritual life seriously, if you value the well-being and the health and the vitality of your soul, you will exhibit that by ensuring the well-being and the perpetuation of the soul and the avoidance of anything that may harm the soul and inhibit it from operating properly. If you really viewed a violation of the will of God in the same way that you would violate or that you would view the, the Surgeon General's warning, then you would take the necessary steps to avoid even a potential of a misdeed. And therefore, you could almost measure up a person's seriousness of their relationship with God and the seriousness that they take their spiritual life by how fearful are they of even coming into a situation where there, there may be a sin that's happening. There's an incredible story from the Gon of Vilna. It was once uh, Friday night, so Shabbos, and he was studying Torah. Now, of course, in, in you know, 200 years ago, 250 years ago, there wasn't any uh, electric lights, right? So how do you study Torah at night? You have to study with a candle, right? Now, the problem is that if you study with a candle, let's say, let's say you have a little container with oil, and you put a wick in it, and it provides a flickering of light. Problem is, is what if the oil gets diminished? And then there's a risk maybe that you may tip the glass to make sure that the wick has a firmer connection to the oil. And this is already featured in the Talmud. The Talmud says that if you're studying Torah or you're studying anything, you're reading to the light of a candle on Shabbos, you cannot do it. Why? Because there's a concern that you may tip it in order to get a stronger light and thereby violating one of the laws of Shabbos to not make a fire or to not make a fire burn brighter. Now, there is an exception. If you appoint someone to sit with you, to guard you, to make sure that you don't tip the candle, that would be a situation where you would be permitted, this is all in the Talmud, that would be a situation where you would be permitted to read from such a light source. So the Gona Vilna was reading 
And his wife was there next to him and she was eating something. She was eating some seeds. And then there were some shells. And she was discarding the shells on the table. And the Gona Vilna, he was so immersed in the study that he accidentally touched some of those shells. Now, this would not be viewed in our eyes as some sort of major problem, but the law states, the rabbinic law states, that anything that you cannot use on Shabbos, you cannot handle or maneuver or move on Shabbos. And therefore, if you have shells, now that the seed has been removed from the shells, those shells are useless on Shabbos, and if they're useless on Shabbos, they are mutsa. You cannot handle them or move them on Shabbos. And the Gona Vilna absentmindedly started moving and playing with them. And when he realized what happened, he fainted. Because he realized that he just violated a rabbinic law. So his wife is there. She's freaking out. So she starts pouring water on him to make him come too. And he wakes up, and he remembers what happened. He fades again. So what does this woman do? She wakes him up again, and she takes those seeds, takes those shells, and starts chewing them and eating them. And if you eat them, if it's edible, it's not useless. And if it's not useless, it's not much so. And if it's not much so, you can handle it on Shabbos. So she starts eating those shells, and he stops fainting. Now, again, we read the story, it sounds ridiculous to us. It sounds crazy. He's fainting because he accidentally violated a rabbinic law. And what does his wife do? She, she finds a way to make it not prohibited. But again, if this was someone's money being discussed here, or someone's physical health, it would make sense to us. That's only because we view the body as real and the world of the body as real and this world as real and the soul as theoretical. And we don't take it seriously. And again, that is not an indictment on us. That is our natural state or our default state in this world. The primary objective of the Eitzahara is to make us body first and soul second. That's what it does. And that's why this story sounds strange to us. But we see a Torah perspective here. Imagine you had eaten poison. How seriously would you take that? We view the laws of physics as real. And the laws of Torah, well, you know, they're they're very nice, you know. Ten Commandments, Laws are important, have to have faith, belief, live by a moral code, have a moral compass. That is not the Torah's attitude. The Torah's attitude is a violation of Torah. It's something that really you're violating the will of God and really every violation should carry with it capital punishment. Even the most minor violation should be capital punishment. Well, the Almighty, in his kindness, in his benevolence, he's willing to kind of go easy on us. 
and he's willing to extend a long leash to us. And he's willing to let us repent. But ultimately, non-kosher, in the eyes of the Torah, is poison. And a sin is a, is a, is a major blemish to your spiritual well-being, which matters way more than your transient physical well-being. And again, it's hard for us to make us, to make us make this real in our perspective. But this is the attitude of the Torah. And this is really where Torah is trying to bring us to, trying to make us more spiritual. And the more we absorb and integrate and assimilate the values and the laws of the Torah into ourselves, the more this will, will make sense to us. But this is the context of this law. Mitzvah number 128, uncertain guilt offerings. You're not even sure you did something wrong. Well, you may have, and that in itself is the violation.